prophecy questions answered and a central banks moving towards a digital currency, precursor to the mark of the beast? Well, we will analyze these topics and more on this edition of End of the Age. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dave Robbins with End Time Ministries. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of End of the Age. And wow, so much going on in the news right now. Prophecies happening all around us. And it's hard for us actually to keep up with all of them. Everything going on in Israel and the world government, world religion, precursors to the mark of the beast. I mean, you name it, and it is happening right now. We don't really have to question, are we in the end time? We're having a hard time keeping up with everything. And we've got a whole team of people devoted to that. And I'll still have people from somewhere in Uruguay or something. They say, hey, Dave, look what they're doing in my country. And I think, man, we're living through so much of this. And I just taught a huge session this morning on uh, apostolic mentoring to missionaries all over the world. And man, what a great session we had uh, with people all over the world that things are happening in their countries and what a great discussion and things we had. It's been awesome. So there's a lot going on. And as a result, we get so many questions in here at End Time Ministries. I wanted to answer a few of those questions today. And then if we have time, I'm going to get into the central banks going digital and putting out a digital currency. Many nations around the world their central banks. Let's tie all of that together. So here we go. The first question, the writer says, I have a question about Daniel 7, 4. I've read the scripture or many different translations, and it seems to me that it is saying that the eagle's wings were plucked, but after the eagle's wings were plucked, then the lion was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon the feet as a man, not the eagle, but the lion. Is there something in the original language that the scripture was written in that would help clarify this? Well, okay, so we got to look at this grammatically. Daniel 7, 4 says, The first beast was like a lion, had eagle's wings. I beheld there, I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand on the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. So in this passage... It is the pronoun it that we're looking for. That's referring to the eagle's wings or the lion, right? That's what's in question. So we need to see what is that grammatically correct? Well, it, the pronoun it refers to the eagle's wings, not the lion. Because it's when when used in this way, the pronoun it refers to the last noun previous to it or prior to it. So let me read it one more time for you to make sure you get it. In Daniel 7, 4, Bible says, The first was like a lion, had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it, that pronoun right there, goes back to the noun that preceded it, and it was lifted up from the earth. 
So just like in a sentence, let's say with a formal name used such as President Trump, he spoke at the White House. And afterward, he, the pronoun, said, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the he in the sentence refers back to the last person's name mentioned, which would be Donald Trump. So therefore, it, it the pronoun in the scripture, Daniel 7, 4, refers back to the eagle, not the lion, that was lifted up from the earth. Okay, so it's very important uh, that we understand that because that would be a whole different interpretation. But it's specifically talking about the nation of Great Britain and the United States come out of Great Britain and the United States, the eagle was made to stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. Um, That's the correct interpretation of the scripture and that is grammatically correct interpretation, okay? The next question, many of you will remember on Friday's open line, uh, Josh from, I think it was either New Jersey or New York, somewhere up there, he said that he saw Jews in New York holding signs against Zionism. And they were promoting uh, the Palestinian cause, and they were against the modern-day state of Israel. And he asked if I could explain it. Well, he kind of... He caught me because I'd never heard of anything like that. I've got many, many Jewish friends. I'm friends with all the guides in Israel, the touring companies, everybody over there. So many people that we know in Israel, none of them are like that. So I thought, I've never heard of anything like that. Well, I got to doing a little bit of research and I wanted to clarify that for everybody because I didn't know the answer on Friday's open line. So according to the Jewish virtual library, there, the Jews, there are Jews who criticize or oppose Zionism. They're usually uh, orthodox and they maintain that Israel can only be regained miraculously. And they view the present state of Israel as a blasphemous human attempt to usurp God's role. And many actively work to dismantle the secular state of Israel. They say they're secular because, hey, they, they commit, uh, they kill people. But yet the Bible says thou shalt not kill. So they say they're going against the Ten Commandments. They can't be real Jews. Well, they're just, they're secular Jews. It does not mean they're not Jewish. However, unlike many Gentile anti-Zionists, Jewish anti-Zionists usually firmly believe in the Jewish right to the land of Israel, but only at the future time of the redemption or when the Messiah arrives. That's when the state of Israel should be brought back together. So, um, that this is their belief system. The best known group of Jewish religious anti-Zionists are called Nutri Karta. And, but they don't believe Ezekiel 37. This is very important. I watched some things, read some things uh, over the weekend, and they will actually, when they, when they um, show up and have these signs that are promoting Palestine and the Palestinians and not the Jews that are in Israel, they will actually have Jews show up and rally against them. And it can get, you know, a little dicey there for a little while. So, because they're calling them traitors and all kinds of other stuff. So that's really what it's all about. And I I actually saw people picketing Jews that were very religious Orthodox Jews that were against the current state of Israel because they say that the Vatican and the United Nations created it, not Almighty God. However, they need to go back to a little bit of Israeli history and look at Ezekiel 37 again. 
I want to give you that very, very quickly to let you know what happened and that God's hand is on the state of Israel today and that these individuals are actually incorrect. So the second Jewish exile, let's go back there very quickly to some history. Um, well, I'm going to come up to a break here. So let me hold for just a moment. And uh, I want to say to everybody, thank you so much for joining us. God bless each and every one of you. I got a lot more questions and then we'll get off into the central banks and things before the program wraps up. So much happening in the news right now. So much prophetic fulfillment. And we'll keep you up to date on all of it. Potentially a new government in Israel is coming up before very long. A lot of exciting prophecy fulfillment happening right now in the news. Does the book of Revelation frighten you? Do its symbols confuse you? For centuries, the book of Revelation has been misunderstood and misinterpreted. In Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, Volume 1, Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. This 10-part definitive DVD series and 268-page comprehensive commentary book covers the first 12 chapters of the book of Revelation, featuring on-location photography, classic artwork, and symbolic illustrations. You'll walk away with complete understanding and peace about the events happening during the final years on Earth. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding as you dig into the original intent of the book answering the mysterious prophecies and symbols of the book of revelation don't miss this special offer call now 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com to order call or go online now to get this comprehensive bible study we've seen bible prophecy fulfilled like never before From the halls of the United Nations to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, End Time Ministries continues to reveal the Bible prophecy in the news headlines around the world every day. Whether it's through our broadcast or online at our Jerusalem Prophecy College, your gifts enable us to put vital materials in the hands of those who need it most. Because of you, we continue to replace fear with faith in the hearts of Christians around the world we will continue to see prophecy come to pass at an even swifter pace. We need your support. Your donation of any amount enables us to continue to broadcast and be a voice in the ever-growing censored media. To become a partner or give a one-time gift, visit endtime.com or call 1-800-END-TIME right now. That's 800-363-8463. Go online now. Visit endtime.com. So, you know, everybody, one thing I might say before we get back into this is that the um, it, we're getting this message out all over the world. We're helping so many people find churches and they're, they're receiving salvation. People are being prepared for heaven. And if you'd like to join us in this effort, consider partnering with End Time Ministries. It's not because we're all trying to get rich. That's not what we're doing. Believe me. We're reaching people around the world. I just read an article today in the uptick of anti-Semitism. I mean, the horrible uptick. There was just a court ruling for a Muslim individual in Europe that he had murdered a Jewish lady. I think she was in her 80s. And he was found not guilty because he had been smoking marijuana prior to murdering her. And they said that he wasn't in his right mind. And so he got off. 
There's a huge uptick in anti-Semitism where we're involved in helping making in Jews, making Aliyah back to Israel and the different places to the United States. A lot of things are happening and we're going to be intricately involved in Israel all the way throughout the end time. And then, of course, we're sharing the gospel of the kingdom of God around the world and all of our news sources and radio, television, the magazine, everything. Our magazine's going into uh, the White House, all of our senators and House of Representatives, governors, everybody subscribe to the magazine. A lot of things going on here. So we encourage you to partner with End Time Ministries and join us in this effort to win as many people to God and to spread the gospel of the kingdom of God around the world in the end time to partner, call 1-800-363-8463 or go to endtime.com. Now, the second Jewish exile. Let's go back through some history because the, the uh, Jose from Friday's program, it really intrigued me, his question, because I had never seen anything like that. We're going to go through a little history because a lot of this is this propaganda is being pushed in the news right now. Israel's an apartheid state and all these different things. Well, no, they're not. At the second exile, Jesus, even in his rejection, he loved the Jewish people. They rejected him. Let's face it. And so he prophesied to them just before his death. He looks over Jerusalem and in what? Luke 19, 43 and 44. He he says to them, uh, Jesus is now prophesying over the Jews of Jerusalem. He says, for the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee around and keep thee on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave thee uh, leave in thee one stone upon another because thou would not that thou knewest not the time of thy visitation so in other words hey you didn't hear the voice of god you were disobedient to god consequently you're going back into exile well of course the prophecy came to pass And a few years later in 70 AD, the Roman armies came against Jerusalem and led by General Titus. And they destroyed the city of Jerusalem, burnt the temple to the ground. Not one stone was left on another. And this prophecy was so thoroughly fulfilled that today the Jews don't even know 100% for sure where the temple was located on the Temple Mount. Many of them think they do, but they don't. So... The second exile began with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. God did exactly what he said he would do. And if if you said, if if you persecute me, if you you disobey me, then I'm going to drive you into exile. So the first exile was 70 years when they went into Babylonian captivity. This exile was going to be 1878 years. So what did the Jewish people do that was so terrible that they were going to be exiled for 1,878 years. Well, they rejected the promise. They rejected the covenant, the the seed of Abraham, the promised seed. Remember, Abraham was promised the promised land and a promised seed. And it was Jesus Christ. They rejected the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the God manifest in the flesh. And that's the reason their punishment was so extreme. But we need to look at the end of the second exile, which is where we're at today. And this is what the Jews that do not agree with Zionism today, this is what they need to realize. The, the, the rebirth of the nation of Israel. 
the prophet Ezekiel. Now, these are Old Testament prophecies. The prophet Ezekiel in chapter 37 prophesied the rebirth of the nation of Israel after the second exile. In Ezekiel 37, the, the, the prophecy said that God took him out, Ezekiel, and he saw a great valley, uh, a valley full of dry bones. And the Lord said to him, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, I don't know, God, this is horrible. And, you know, what, what was Ezekiel really seeing? Well, we believe that he was seeing Hitler's Holocaust, a vision, a valley of dry, dead bones. I mean, have you read the stories? And if you've ever been to a Holocaust museum, you've seen more pictures than you ever wanted to see of them stacking the Jewish bodies up while they were killing six million Jews during the concentration camps. Well, we believe that Ezekiel saw a picture of the concentration camps and the Lord said, hey, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Can this nation ever come back together? And Ezekiel said, Lord, I don't know. This, this looks pretty horrible. And the Lord said, Ezekiel prophesied to this boneyard. And Ezekiel prophesied. And you know the story. Bone came against bone. And muscle came on the bone. And all these different things happened. And it was a, it was a this boneyard came back to life. And if you read the rest of the prophecy, it tells us that God was planning to gather the people back, the nation of Israel, back into their own land. It wasn't the United Nations. I know about the partition plan and everything that happened. But God miraculously drew these people back into their own land. It did not say that they would be a perfect people or that they would necessarily be a godly people. Many of the Jews there today are secular, but they're still Jews and the land still belongs to them. And of course, we know now that it happened after World War II, they came back together. And it's such an amazing story. If you've ever read the account, a really detailed account. Um, because after World War II, on November 29, 1947, the United Nations voted to create the nation of Israel and the land of Palestine. This is God bringing the people back together. Okay, the 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 United Nations, which is driven by Satan, would never have wanted that to happen. Almighty God did this, and now the they um, in 1947 the Israelis accepted it. But the Arabs, of course, they rejected it. They don't want any Jews there at all. And even through the 1870-year exile, there have been Jews, a Jewish presence in Israel and in Jerusalem all the way through. But in the partition plan, the Jews accepted it, the Arabs rejected it, and they started a war the very next day. And that, that was when the Third Temple era began. Uh, Israel was reborn on May 14, 1948. And the vote was taken on November 29th, 1947, but Israel declared her Independence Day on May 14th, 1948. Well, 42 million Arabs launched a war against the little, just a, 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 the, the beginnings of the nation of Israel. And they only had 600,000 against 42 uh, million Arabs against 600,000 Jews. Most of the nation of the world thought that Israel would not survive. But amazingly, because God was helping them, they did survive. And when the Armistice Treaty was signed in 1949, Israel controlled more land than the United Nations had given her originally. But yet the promise of Abraham was not fully restored. They still didn't have Jerusalem. 
Well, what happened? 1967, um, Abdul Nasser said, hey, we're not going to let this Jewish nation uh, survive. Let's go back against them. And again, they launched a war. And once again, against Israel. But amazingly and miraculously, they defeated all the neighbors in six days. It's the Six Days War, 1967. They came back to the Temple Mount. And the, the great message was sent around the world. The Temple Mount is in our hands. And, but now, instead of building their temple, they were afraid and they feared the world community. They feared the United Nations. However, the point is, is that God miraculously brought those individuals back into the land. Ezekiel chapter 7, seven a clear prophecy about that. So, for the Orthodox here in America, some, not, not all, but just a, there's some of them that believe, hey, we're against the current nation of Israel and we're for Palestine. That's why a, that's simply not a correct belief. God miraculously brought them over there, the Jews that are there today. You say, well, some of them are not religious. Well, he didn't say they would all be religious. He said he would draw them back in. There will come a time when all of Israel is saved at the time of the second coming. But right now, many of them are not. They're totally secular. And so, very important that we understand these things. And I hope that helps you out, Jose, in your question from Friday. I apologize. I didn't know the answer. I mean, I I just have never heard of that before. Again, I have lots of Jewish friends. And I've never even heard anybody speak of that. So, I know it's a small faction, but... It's right there in your neighborhood, if I remember the question correctly. So I wanted to make sure I uh, explained it all to you. Okay, next question. The writer says, I'm looking for what happens to present-day Jews as they have passed away. Like, let's say, over the last few years or so. He said, my thought is that since they were unable to fulfill the law requirements, that they could not be included in moving forward uh, to being with the Lord. Uh, Therefore, they must not be taken to heaven. Okay, so... Here's the answer to that. This is for everybody on the planet. Jew, Gentile, anybody. John 3, 1 through 7. The Bible says there was a man. This is when, obviously, Jesus was here. And this was a man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So a Pharisee was a member of like a a, a Jewish sect noted for their strict observance of the rites and ceremonies of the written law. And for insistence on the validity of their own oral traditions concerning the law. So, but they were Jews. So, Nicodemus, the Bible says, the same came to Jesus by night, a hidden disciple. And he said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man does the miracles that you do, except God's with him. You're healing people. You're raising people from the dead. I mean, he, he knew something was different about Jesus. But Jesus didn't talk to him about all that stuff. He went, Jesus just cut away everything, went right to the core. And this would be John 3, 3. Jesus said, hey, Nicodemus, guess what? Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus was talking to a Jewish individual, a Jewish Pharisee. Nicodemus said unto him, well, what do you mean? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter again into his mother's womb a second time and be born? And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, Nicodemus, except a man's born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. 
Verse 7, marvel not that I say unto you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he was talking about the born again plan of salvation that was coming when the, that he was going to leave with his apostles and in Acts 2, the Holy Ghost is poured out. Peter gives a plan of salvation, Acts 2, 38. And then that's what's carried out from then to today. So today, everyone, both Jew, Gentile, must be born again. I, I have many friends that are Jews that are born again today. And so it's very important when you understand today, the Bible says that the, the Jews are blinded in part until the fullness of the Gentiles become in, which is at the second coming, and then all of Israel will be saved. So not every Jew is going to be saved, just like not every Gentile is going to be saved. But there will be a segment of them. Uh, Matthew, uh, Revelation chapter 7 talks about the remnant of Jews that will be saved. And then John says in Revelation 7, 9, Hey, behold, a, a, a multitude no man could number. He saw it in heaven. These are they that came out of great tribulation. So there will be... Revelation chapter 7 talks about a Jewish, Gentile, mixed church in the end time. Um, but not every Jew is going to be saved, just like not every uh, Gentile is going to be saved. Everybody has to be born again, just like Jesus told Nicodemus, who was a Jew. Next question. When they rebuild the temple, what will happen to the Muslim Dome of the Rock, Al-Aqsa Mosque that is up there? Uh, will they build it in a different area of the mount? What's going on? Uh, okay, so the, the answer is, if you've ever been to Israel, you look at the situation there on the Temple Mount. Uh, they have the Al-Aqsa Mosque on the southern end, the Dome of the Rock in the middle. Up on the northern end, there's a humongous courtyard, probably, I don't know, six or eight acres, maybe ten acres. And it's where the Dome of the Spirits is. It lines up perfectly with the eastern gate. It's, it, that's the highest likely probability that's where they'll build it. Built on the north of the Dome of the Rock. Uh, Revelation eleven two. The Bible tells us this is exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be placed under a sharing arrangement. They're not going to have to remove the Dome of the Rock of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. It's going to be built up there with it. Um, John in Revelation 11, 1 and 2. The Bible says, um, John said, And there was given unto me a reed like unto a rod. The angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them which are therein. But the court, which is without the temple, leave it out. Don't even measure it for it's given unto the Gentiles and the holy city shall they tread underfoot 40 and two months, the time of the great tribulation. So it's going to be placed under a sharing arrangement and the temple mount, or they, they would say their synagogue, their third synagogue will stand up there along with the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And that's how it's going to be in the end time. There will be a temple, but they're not going to remove the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque to build it. It's going to be placed under a sharing arrangement according to Revelation 11. Major internet companies are silencing and censoring Christian voices online. These companies are trying to control what you see and hear. Almost 200 videos of ours have been marked as restricted online right now. That's why we launched End of the Age Plus, a platform where the truth won't be censored, a platform where we can preach the message of the gospel. When you subscribe to End of the Age Plus today for just $12.99 a month, you can watch all of our content in a secure, easy-to-view way from your favorite device. 
When you go to watch.endtime.com and subscribe, you'll get instant access to all of our teaching resources, including Revelation, the Unveiling of Jesus Christ, Understanding the End Time, End Time Magazine, and so much more. We will not censor our message to comply with what the world deems as politically correct. Go to watch.endtime.com right now or search End of the Age Plus in the App Store or Google Play. Move Mountains with Irvin Baxter. This book by Irvin's grandson provides 30 days of devotion that will enhance your relationship with God and others. Authentic illustrations from early morning devotions at end time will help you find your purpose and eliminate fears. Commit to taking this 30-day journey and experience real life change. Get your book for only $14.99. Call 1-800-363-8463 or go to endtime.com slash move. If your station only carries the first 30 minutes of End of the Age, go to endtime.com and click the watch button to continue today's broadcast. You can also finish up later by clicking the archive button. All right, everybody, I got a couple more questions and then we'll get into uh, some of the news articles. Next question is, I believe the Gog and Magog war and Ezekiel 38 uh, is a separate war from the Battle of Armageddon mentioned in Revelation 16. Well, so I could get I could get into all of the, uh, you know, which direction do they come from and or they come from all over the earth or where's it going to start? This, that, and the other. But. Just to keep it short here, for the sake of the program, one of the easiest ways to see that the Battle of Armageddon and Ezekiel 38 and 39 is the exact same event, that Ezekiel 38 and 39 is the Battle of Armageddon, just like Zechariah chapter 12, 13, and 14 is devoted to the Battle of Armageddon in that era right there. If you look at the Lord's Feast in Ezekiel 39, 17 through 20, Um, It says, and thou son of man, thus saith the Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl and to every beast of the field, assemble yourselves and come gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel that ye may eat flesh and drink blood. So ye shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth and rams and lambs and goats and bullocks and all of them fatlings of Bashan. And ye shall eat fat till you be full and drink blood till you be drunken of my sacrifice, which I have sacrificed for you. Thus ye shall be filled at my table with horses and chariots, with mighty men, and with all the men of war, saith the Lord God. That's a gory experience. Imagine. Well, that's what's going to happen at the Battle of Armageddon. God is going to rain his wrath down on those individuals, those armies that have come down against Israel to battle. God's had it up to here with them. He's done with the world government. He comes back, plants his feet on the Mount of Olives. The armies of heaven is with him and they just slaughter those armies. Okay. And God calls the beast of the field and the fowls of the air to come into feast on their flesh. Now that this event only happens one time in the near future. And it's at the battle of Armageddon. It's recorded in Ezekiel 39. Well, jump to revelation 19, where it talks about the second coming in the battle of Armageddon. 
This is Revelation 19, 17 through 18. The account says, and I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the great supper of our God that ye may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and them that set upon them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. So this, this um, gory, nasty um, supper of our God that where he calls the feast of uh, the, the beast of the field and the fowls of the air to come in and feast on kings, captains, and mighty men. It, they, it happens at the Battle of Armageddon, and that's the quickest, easiest way that you can prove Ezekiel 38 and 39, the Gog and Magog War, and the Battle of Armageddon is the exact same event. Now, there's other ways to prove it, but just for the sake of my time today, I just wanted to give you a real quick, easy proof the supper of our God, the great feast of the Lord. Now, next question. And this is the final question I'm going to cover today and then we'll get into some news. The individual said, should we be using the name Yeshua or Jesus? And we get this question a lot, actually. So, <clears throat> here's the deal. Yeshua and Jesus are the exact same word. Yeshua is the Hebrew pronunciation. Jesus is the English pronunciation. So let me give you an example. So if a person's name is Yossi, Y-O-S-E in Hebrew, it would be pronounced Joseph in English. If your name is Yehuda, with a Y, Yehuda in Hebrew, it would be pronounced Judah in English. But it's the same word. Uh, this happens because the Hebrew language has no J and no V. A J becomes a Y when moving from English to Hebrew. A V becomes a W when moving from English to Hebrew. But when moving from Hebrew to English, then it's reverse. And that's why Jehovah in English is Yahweh in Hebrew, but it's the same word. And that's why Jesus is pronounced Yeshua in Hebrew, but it's the same word. So, uh, you know, if you want to talk to, um, let's say you want to baptize somebody, you want to baptize them in Jesus' name. If you're in English, you say Jesus. If you're baptizing somebody in Hebrew, you want to baptize them in Jesus' name, you would say Yeshua, same name, Okay. Now, uh, where are we at? So um, that's, I hope, I, hope, I hope you understand that. And I can and email me, drobbins at endtime.com. I can send you that if you didn't get it because we get that question a lot. And I want to make sure you get that and how the, the Hebrew pronunciation, the English pronunciation, uh, you, it, it, it can kind of get confusing. But once you understand the Y and the W and the, the V and the H and all different things, then uh, then you got it. Now, let me get off into global governance here a little bit. The Newsmax, they ran an article, uh, Team Biden's Global Governance Pass Play. Now, you know that the Bible prophesies a world governing body that's coming in the end time. 
and that most of the nations of the earth will follow after and pledge their allegiance, yielding their sovereignty up to this one world governing body. Of course, we believe Revelation 12, 14 and Revelation 13, the United States will not be involved in that. However, we have a globalist in the White House right now, believes in a world government. So it appears like he's yielding up much of our sovereignty. I mean, in the article, the author is, I think his name's Jerry Bell was the author. I'll talk about him in a moment. But the, art, the author is discussing the United States yielding up our sovereignty and American taxpayer dollars to international institutions of global governance. And he actually says, I'm quoting from the article, there's likely no better example of this or the consequences than the Paris Agreement regarding the Climate Accord, established on the premise of a climate change emergency, and it was ginned up by the UN's uh, International Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC, their bought and paid for science agency, the United States is being conned into a global wealth transfer scam that in the process is bent on villainizing or, or uh, terminating America's fossil fueled prosperity and energy independence. And he says, don't just take my words for it. The International Panel on Climate Change, the official and the lead author, Otmar Edenhofer, he said... And I'm quoting, basically, it's a big mistake to discuss climate policy separately from the major themes of globalization. One has to free oneself from the illusion that international climate policy policy is environmental policy. He said, but you one must say clearly that we distribute de facto the world's wealth by climate policy. That's exactly what they're doing. It's propaganda to lead to the socialistic principle of wealth redistribution. And he says, as Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, her former chief of staff and Green New Deal architect Sakat Sakabardi, he told Washington uh, Governor Jay Inslee, his climate director Sam Ricketts, he said, the interesting thing about the Green New Deal is it wasn't a climate thing at all. Do you guys think of it as a climate thing? He said, because we think of it as how do you change the entire economy thing? That's what it was. It's all propaganda to redistribute the wealth of the world. Socialism. And he says the Biden administration, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is now proposing a global regime that would essentially subordinate the U.S. corporate tax authority a primary pillar of democratic governance and lever of economy, economic influence. The plan would establish a minimum standardized corporate tax rate across the developed world, along with authority for participating member nations to tax multinational corporations. And so the White House proposal um, accompanies plans to raise the United States corporate tax rate from 21% to 28% which in combination with additional taxes in some states will be one of the highest tax rates in the developed world. And you you know that during his first hours in the Oval Office, President Biden recommitted the U.S. funding to the World Health Organization, as well as pledging America to rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement um, and the, the Climate Accord, which President Trump 
terminated or he, he pulled us out of. And he states that the United States must never cede sovereign rights and interests to socially backed, socialist backed global tribunals and agendas, which is what happening is happening on many fronts. Now, when I say socialistic world government, the Revelation 13, 1 through 8, describes the end time world government and its ruler as the beast, along with the spiritual being from which they derive their power, that's Satan. And our understanding of this prophecy begins back in Daniel. Daniel 7, the prophet Daniel was given a vision of four beasts. They represented kingdoms or nations which would exist at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Those beasts described in Daniel 7, 4 through 7, and the modern nations they symbolize are a lion with eagle's wings, which would be Great Britain and the United States, a bear, Russia, a four-headed leopard, Germany, and the ten-horned beast, the, the reborn Holy Roman Empire, or the current European Union. These are prophecies coming to pass as we speak, everybody. Revelation then uses the same symbols of those nations to describe the end-time world government. In John's account, those four separate beasts in Daniel 7 federalize into one large global governing beast. And the interpretation would be something like this. John said, I stood upon the sand of the sea, having and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. Upon his horns, symbolic of the European Union, were ten crowns. Upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. Upon the beast, uh, and the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, Germany. (coughs) Feet is the feet of the bear, Russia. Mouth is the mouth of the lion, Great Britain. And the dragon, or Satan, gave him his power, seat, and great authority. So this seven-headed, ten-horned beast is symbolic of the world government that is currently being established. Revelation 17.3 gives us another clue. John said, he carried me away into, um, into the spirit in the wilderness, and I saw a woman set on a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. What's the seven-headed, ten-horned beast? The world government. What color does it say is associated with the world government? Red. Other prophecies let us know that red is symbolic of communism or socialism. So, when you got a president of the United States pushing socialistic principles, the propaganda coming out from the United Nations, which is socialistic, you can see where everything's headed. But, The Bible still says that the United States will not be in full compliance with the world government in the end time. How's that all going to play out? I don't know for sure, but I know that we're not going to be a part of that. And so some drastic things will have to happen in the government over the next months and years. And we'll watch that happen. Most of us walk around day by day blind to the prophecies being fulfilled right before us. Every news report brings a new piece to the puzzle in the race towards the final seven years and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, more than ever, it is important for God's people to understand the times in which we are living. On November the 12th, 2013, 
We opened our Jerusalem Prophecy College in downtown Jerusalem. These same courses are now available online for people who are unable to attend the classes in person. We welcome students to join us and discover the link between current events and the prophecies of the Bible. Take your place in the prophecy of Daniel 11.33. Enroll in the Jerusalem Prophecy College today. Go to JerusalemProphecyCollege.com. Newsmax ran another article, uh, Climate, COVID Cover-Ups, and Follow the Agendas. And again, this article was by Larry Bell. He's a great writer, and he's an endowed professor of space architecture at the University of Houston. And I only want to give you like a paragraph out of this article. Very important. He said, hey, everybody, follow the science and follow the money. These narratives converge regarding two of the most consequential, impactful, agenda-driven science disasters of our time. Global climate, climate crisis, premised attacks on the hydrocarbon energy, and then he talks about the COVID agenda. But I want to talk just on the climate agenda really quick. He says this agenda-driven contention cannot continue to be simply dismissed by as scientifically denialist or partisan conspiracy theories. The connection between climate alarm, energy policy, and socialist economic transformation agendas is candidly articulated by prominent global and national proponents. He says this, the global climate threat of socialism. He said, speaking at a 1996 conference in Moscow, former Soviet Union President Mikhail Gorbachev emphasized the importance of using climate alarmism keeping you in fear mode because the climate is going to burn up or we're going into an ice age. They don't care. To advance, Gorbachev said, to advance socialist Marxist objectives, he said the threat of the environmental crisis would be the international disaster key to unlock the new world order. And they are pushing, pushing, pushing that for all they're worth right now. Wake up and smell the coffee, everybody. The human-induced global warming climate change scam is propaganda. It's driven by the United Nations to keep everybody in fear mode so they can redistribute the wealth of the world. Now, let me shift gears to precursor to the mark of the beast. I told you, there's so much going on right now, it's hard to keep up with all of it. But I want you to hear about the central bank's efforts to go digital. Revelation 13, 16 through 18. This is the New Living Translation. Listen at this. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on their right hand or in their forehead, and that no one could buy or sell anything without the mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let, it, let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of the man. His number is 666. Six. Now, I want you to hear something in light of this scripture by Ron Paul. Most of you know who he is, you know, uh, Rand Paul's dad. This is from the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Security. And he says this, the dangers posed 
by a state-controlled digital currency. You need to pay close attention to this because he says it doesn't require too dark of an imagination to realize the gravity of the concerns over the digital yuan. China is a true pioneer when it comes to surveillance, censorship, political oppression, and the digital age has given the state an incredibly efficient and effective arsenal. And now adding money to its toolkit was a move that was planned many years ago and is abundantly clear how useful a tool it can be for any totalitarian regime. Now, Ron Paul, is the, the, his site is not putting this out from a biblical prophecy view. This is totally a secular view, but it's tying right in to precursors to the mark of the beast. They say the ability to track citizens' transactions, access their financial data, control and freeze the account of anyone that presents a potential threat, it all opens the door to the ultimate oppression, total control over private resources, over people's livelihoods, and their capacity to cover their basic needs. But what are they talking about? Well, if the, if the um, central banks of nations around the world could control the money, put out a digital currency, get everybody dependent upon that, move off of cash, and they could control, number one, they could track every purchase you make. And then they could control you. If they've got control of the money and your access to it, then you're stuck if you go to make a purchase go to the grocery, whatever, and they say, well, you know, he's a dissenter. He's a climate denier, whatever. We won't give him access to cash. Now, Ron Paul's website is talking about this, folks. But he says, we don't even have to wait for the first sign of abuse of the system. As part of the government's COVID relief spending packages, digital vouchers were loaded to Chinese citizen smartphones to encourage them to spend their in their local stores. According to Dr. Shirley Yu, visiting fellow of the London School of Economics, digital coupons allow these Chinese government to trace the usage of the coupons. And they allow the government to know which sector is most helpful. And it uses their it, it uses it to know exactly where the money is actually spent. Because it's digital, right? Of course, if the government has access to data that allows them to check if their policies were well transmitted and if the money was spent as they intended, then they can also use that data to check and trace any transactions for any other purchases, private, whatever. Zhu Yuan, a senior researcher at Peking University's Digital Finance Research Center, highlighted the regulatory benefits of making all cash flow in society traceable. Did you hear that? The benefits of making all cash flow in society traceable? In theory, following the launch of the digital yuan, there will be no transaction that regulatory authorities will not be able to see. Cash flows will be completely traceable. And he said that in an interview. And of course, this thought is scary enough on its own. I mean, but... It becomes infinitely more terrifying when those who control the system 
have a very long track record of abuse and blatant disregard for basic rights and liberties, right? I mean, China's putting this into action, everybody. But we would say, oh, it couldn't happen here, right? I mean, that, that's probably the most repeated argument in our civilized Western democracies. I mean, right before some terrible government abuse of power takes place, or before some new restrictive law or overarching regulation gets passed that limits individual citizens' rights. I mean, so a lot of people thought that the Patriot Act could never get passed, that, that banking secrecy would always be respected, and that there, were, there was no way we'd ever see <clears throat> a, a global economic shutdown by decree, Right? But by comparison, a digital fiat currency is not really that far-fetched. I mean, in fact, about 20 central banks, apart from the People's Bank of China. You say, well, this is just in China or Korea. No, it's not. About 20 central banks are already actively working on it. Now, this article, folks, was back in, I think, uh, August or September of 2020. Now it's more than that. And as for the possibility of digital currencies and payment systems being enforced, most central bank officials and politicians in the West seem to be quite confident. In a recent interview, um, Philadelphia Federal Reserve Bank President Patrick Harker, he said that, hey, a a real-time digital payment option was inevitable. While the chief bank for the international, uh, the Bank for International Settlements and you got to know how dark that the Bank for International Settlements was. They also recognize that central banks need to issue their own digital currency soon. The, the Bank for International Settlements, let me stop here real quick, is the pretty much the central bank of central banks. Most major, major developed nations on the planet have a central bank. Like we have the Federal Reserve, which is no more federal than... Federal Express. You've heard us say that many times. It's not. It's owned by a private group of bankers. And it's a private club. You cannot go knock on the door and say, hey, I want to be a part of this. No, it's not the way it works. Well, these central banks run the economies of the major uh, nations of the world. Well, the Bank for International Settlements is the central bank of the central banks. And almost every article that I read about this was saying, hey, we're working with the Bank for International Settlements in getting this thing pushed across the finish line. We are running all of our efforts through the Bank for International Settlements. Uh, Irvin Baxter, we talked about this years ago, and he said, Dave, you got to make sure you understand about the Bank for International Settlements. He had did many interviews. You can't go read about a lot of this stuff online, but... He, my father-in-law, did several interviews with a lady named Joan Vion. She's passed away now. But she actually infiltrated the Bank for International Settlements, did interviews, exposed a lot of this stuff. You can read some of her stuff online. Uh, Joan Vion, V-E-O-N, Joan Vion. Go check it out. Well, the Bank for International Settlements, very much running today and dealing with all these central banks. Um. They say that during the corona relief debates in the the U.S., Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown advocated for the stimulus payments to be distributed through a digital dollar wallet. And the so-called Fed account program, where the Federal Reserve would be responsible for overseeing, would offer free bank accounts to receive money and make payments. 
So it's a real fork in the road. And I'm looking into putting an article in End Time Magazine about this because you really need to understand what's going on here. A lot of us can be caught up in some of these other little things that are going on when if these, if these central banks put out a digital currency and get everybody moved onto that kind of stuff, that would be a real problem. Because you talk about being able to track everybody. We do not want to move off of cash, folks. That would be a horrible situation in, in America. So, I mean, cash is freedom, period. And, you know, if I want to give money to uh, somebody, a, a beggar on the side of the street, or if I want to, you know, I, I don't want people tracking me. And obviously, I've got a cell phone. A lot of, we talk about a lot of these things, but if you've got a cell phone, Man, they're, they're listening to your conversations. A lot of things are happening. That's not conspiracy theory. I can be talking and Siri will say, uh, I didn't quite catch that. Or I didn't understand your last statement. And I'm like, this crazy phone's listening to me. But I want to make sure that we understand about things coming down the pike. Are all the central banks have a digital currency? No. But I do know that the U.S. Federal Reserve is talking about it. And they are in, um, they've been in correspondence with the Bank for International Settlements about it. And I've also know that the nation of Israel, their central bank, is talking about um, having a digital currency. And all of these central banks are working with the Bank for International Settlements. Go online and read some of the Joan Vion stuff about the Bank for International Settlements. It's no more um, regulated by any government than the Federal Reserve is here in the United States. It's a private group of bankers. And it's you talk about the deep state, the establishment, uh, the swamp. These guys are the ones that are running all of that. And so they're in, they're in charge of the finances in America. So it shows you how much power they have. I tell you what, I sure am thankful that I've got my hand in the Lord's hand. I'm trusting Jesus Christ. I don't, I'm not looking to government. You're looking to government. You are of all men most miserable. Put your hand in the Lord's hand. Serve Jesus Christ and trust him in the end time. This has been End of the Age, brought to you by the faithful partners of End Time Ministries. If you're not currently a partner with End Time Ministries, or if you would like more information, we invite you to call us at 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-363-8463 or visit us online at endtime.com.